Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The Lakers Legacy Podcast episode you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Fansided Sports Network, the ultimate home for fans, and by lakeshowlife.com, Fansided's official Lakers website. Make sure to check out lakeshowlife.com for all the latest Lakers news, rumors, and opinion pieces. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod, and also please consider dropping us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It truly is the best way to support us. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, more like Wang-Chi and the quest for 18 rings, <laughs> <laughs> Lakers Nation times wang Jae lin now we're talking. By the way, I know it's pronounced Shang-Chi, but anyways, it, it fit for the Shang-Chi-Wang-Chi joke. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, who's joining us via a drive through call-in on a major Los Angeles freeway. I think it's still the 110. Tommy, how are you doing, and have you seen Shang-Chi yet? I've been cruising the 110. I'm looking for him, uh, but I have not seen him yet. I'm not talking about Wang-Chi. I'm, I'm talking about the movie Shang-Chi. No, I'm looking. I'm looking. Oh, you're still looking for... So, okay. Oh, wait, I'm confused. Have you seen the movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm, I'm trying to okay. find the screen out here that is playing it, but... Okay, I see. Uh, well, I have, and I don't think we're going to... I think we have a better shot at seeing uh, Shang-Chi than we do Wang-Chi in a Lakers jersey. But you know what? I saw it. It's a lot of fun. Some of the best uh, and most brilliant and probably most complex fight choreography that I've ever seen in a cinema movie, which is great. And some also some really fun nods to Asian-American culture, of which you and I both grew up in. Whether it be, uh, well, actually, I don't want to say anything. Uh, so I won't give anything away. I was about to give stuff away. But yeah, just check out Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, I think it was made for IMAX. So if you get the chance, go to the AMC at Universal City Walk because I think they have the best IMAX theaters. So there are definitely some scenes in the third act where if you watch an IMAX, you will feel like you're flying. And that's pretty much all I'll give. Uh, speaking of flying and scenes in the air, Tommy, the Lakers are going to have a lot more of those next season with uh, ground-bound Marcus Gasol out the door and DeAndre Jordan swooping in. So that's going to be the focus of uh, today's episode, although we have heard recently via Jake L. Fisher that Rich Paul was going around the draft combine telling folks that 
AD and LeBron would slide over to the five and four effectively. So maybe DeAndre Jordan really doesn't have a role outside of a break in case of emergency type situation. But with that said, we're still going to dig into him analytically and statistically with regards to what he can do in this new context of his, this new purple and gold context of his. Um, But first, let's talk about Marc Gasol's departure. Tommy, since last we spoke, the Lakers have since re-signed Rajon Rondo. They've also signed DeAndre Jordan to a vet min contract after he cleared waivers. Both vet min contracts likely cost the Lakers around eight to ten million dollars each because of luxury tax. And then last week, the Lakers traded Marc Gasol back to the Memphis Grizzlies along with a second round pick and got back a $2.7 million trade exception and the rights to 27-year-old Wang Jae Lin, Wang Shi, saving them about $10 million in the process, I believe, uh, while also giving Mark a poetic full-circle weight and his career as he now plans to stay in Spain and play for a Spanish basketball club that he owns named Girona. Girona! (laughs) Apologies if I uh, mispronounced that. Okay, so I don't want to spend too much time on this and re-litigate all of the drama with uh, Mark last year, but I wanted to get your quick thoughts on his departure. I'll say my piece really quickly by saying that um, if you listen to us over the course of the entire season last year, it's no secret that I kind of hated the way the Lakers handled the Gasol situation. While I think they were actually justified in trying to look for healthier replacements in light of Mark contracting COVID and him looking a little bit over the hill, I feel like the lack of communication, the lack of sensitivity, and and also kind of the lack of self-awareness with regards to bringing Andre Drummond in, promising him a starting job in the very brash way that they did, while also seemingly not massaging the situation with Mark, I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and as we've seen or some people have intimated, probably rubbed Mark the wrong way. Keep in mind, before he signed with us last season, he was kind of already on the brink of wanting to move back to Spain. And I'm sure from his end, he probably thought to himself, I eschewed that plan to sign a two-year deal with the Lakers. I took on a much more limited role than I ever have had where the coach didn't even stagger or utilize me correctly. I only played 19 minutes a game, the lowest of my career, did what the team asked of me. We were number one in the West before the stars went down while I was the starter. I shot 17 of 40 from three when some of those guys were injured right before I got COVID. And then the minute Drummond comes onto the team, I'm straight DNP'd. And then I start playing again when nothing else is working with Drummond. So to me, it just feels like a weird way to treat Powell's brother, even though, again, I get it. Mark was washed defensively, especially on the perimeter. There were COVID endurance concerns. I get it. It just seems like the Lakers could have massaged the whole situation better. So what are your thoughts on the Mark thing? I mean, look, I I don't disagree. And we've talked about this a lot. I, I don't really disagree with anything you've said other than to add that none of us were there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so we can go based off speculation and what it seems like happened. But again, none of us were there. It to me, like, I, I think the biggest point that you made was that Mark was one foot out the door to Spain. I mean, he wasn't deciding between us and another team last year in the in the NBA. It was like Lakers or go back to Spain. Mm-hmm. And so I think he decided to come to us for a couple of reasons. I think one was it was like weird COVID times and maybe not the best time to go back to Spain. Number two was like how just had a kid if, if people were following that situation you know, number three was Powell obviously had a history with this team. And so why not if you're sort of doing a farewell tour, like maybe do a year with the Lakers, live in L.A., be close to your brother, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I, I think that was kind of driving him. And I just personally, not based on snippets and articles or whatever, just my personal belief is that the enthusiasm, like the rest of everything else last season, eventually the enthusiasm for that kind of stuff waned. Mm-hmm. And he probably mentally checked out at some point. And so I think like, you know, the way that they uh, handled the whole DeAndre situation this year, I think was a response to that. And yeah. he clearly wanted to be out the door and, you know, he, he maybe looked wa- a little washed physically. So I think it was fair of you to say that. And I also think it's fair of you to point out that despite looking washed physically, he was putting up numbers that if you look at the analytics and especially factoring in, he wasn't really getting consistent. And it's like, he was playing very well. Um, yeah, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe it's the reasons you're saying. Maybe it's other reasons. But I think, you know, it it uh, it is what it is at this point, and, and we have to move on. Yeah. Okay. My last question to you regarding Mark is: Let's throw out the was his head in the game. I'm sure you could also probably attribute the Lakers doing all this weird was his stuff. Head in the game was it was it was it was his head in the game. <laughs> so taking that out of out of everything. While also, you know, addressing the fact that maybe the reason why his head wasn't in the game by the end of it was because of everything the Lakers did or didn't do about that situation, which we've already talked about. Chemistry and the culture seemed to there seemed to be some cracks in the chemistry and culture, which the Lakers have pretty much addressed by not bringing literally not bringing any new guy that they signed last year back. <laughs> literally, everybody <laughs> knew. It's kind of crazy. They got rid of the bad juju. So taking that out of context or not out of context, but taking that off the table. Do you think that Mark would have had a place on this team even with DeAndre Jordan? Because I think, you know, when we talked about, like, you know, the starting lineups and what Mark could contribute, to me, regardless of whether or not his legs are shot, I just wanted to have that additional look that we could throw at teams because Mark at the center position is unique because he was our only non-AD center who could provide spacing, had a playmaking angle, and even just from having a basketball mind on the bench... Uh, to help, you know, even be like an extra Rondo coach on the bench to help out a guy like DeAndre, you know, be at the right spots positionally on defense. I feel like that could have even helped this team if he was willing to, you know, stay on and his he was actually motivated. So, I mean, were you, you a little, were you a little disappointed that, yeah, we're going back to the 2019-20 identity of just run and gun, we have vertical spacers, transition bigs, but were you disappointed that we lost, you know, like some of Mark's creativity and ability to space? Yes. So I think if you look at our roster, I think there are very few holes. I mean, one, everybody points to the age, right? Um, but by bringing in DeAndre, we got younger, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, everybody points to the age. It's a fair critique. But look, injuries are injuries. Obviously, when you're building a very old team, you're increasing your risk, right? And so I'm not going to, like, make an argument there, but uh, let's just just assume every team in the NBA is healthy, right, including us. Assuming full health of everybody, our roster has very few gaps. If you want to look at one gap that we do have, it's that 4-5 position, sort of the Mark, sort of the Markeith even role uh, from the last season and the season before of a guy who like you said, can be a five potentially, even if he's a, like Mark is bigger, but even if he was a smaller guy, like Marquise could be the five and could play some defense and could hit some shots. Now we even need Mark less from a playmaking standpoint this year mm-hmm. than we did last year. Like last year he was actually 
unfortunately fairly critical to our playmaking uh, issues because he was one of the few guys outside of like LeBron who could pass the ball. Um, we have a little bit more of that this year, so I'm, I'm less concerned about that. But yeah, even with DeAndre, I think there could have been a role for him. Now, none of this, this is all mood if, if he wanted to retire, right? But, right. you know, you said putting it aside. So yeah, I think he could have had a role. I do think, again, though, to play devil's advocate a little bit and to, to maybe look at how the Lakers were looking at this, if you are going to go with uh, Dwight, which they committed to him like months ago, if you are going to go to uh, go with DeAndre because he's available now and, you know, fills that sort of McGee role from a couple of years ago, even if Mark could have a spot on this team, why not? you know, get rid of him now and kind of keep that. I'm not saying it's easy to find somebody like this, right? But why not kind of keep that open, see if you can get somebody, maybe even a little bit younger, um, who can provide some of that, maybe somebody a little more athletic. I mean, like, look, I, I don't know what's going to go. It seems like as of, you know, whatever the date is today, September 15th, 2021, like it's September 2021. It, it does not seem like Kevin Love is going to get bought out. But like even Kevin Love could give you some of that floor spacing mm-hmm. at, at, at a, you know, position at four or five position um, if he's playing next to 80. Um, so it there are potential replacements and it is an odd look to carry three true centers when you're planning not only to play AD a lot more during uh, at the center during the season, which is what we've been hearing, but certainly in the playoffs. I mean, in the playoffs, AD is going to be playing like 80% of his minutes at the five, right? So mm-hmm. it, then you end up in this weird situation where you have some serious roster imbalances. If Carmelo Anthony is 37 years old, if he gets hurt, like, God help you, right? So yeah. he's like your only other four besides LeBron. And, and if AD is playing five, like, what do you do? So I... I I can see why they would want to move on regardless, um, but you're you're correct. I, I, I think Mark theoretically had a role here. I just think they're hoping they can find someone at that sort of four or five height um, who can who can give them what what Mark sort of brought last year. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, we wish Mark the best. We wish his time with the Lakers could have ended better, uh, but in light of his departure, that seems to have come from his end. Thank God the Lakers actually had a backup plan. And somehow I'm saying, thank God DeAndre was bought out because we can at least patch things up adequately on the fly. And DeAndre's player template also just so happens to fit the identity and style of what the Lakers want to do this year. That's what we'll get into next, right after the break. Hey folks, today's show is brought to you by the marginal writing skills of yours truly, Jonathan Hernandez. But did you know that this same Jonathan Hernandez who's speaking to you now is not only a corny, punerific Lakers podcast host, but also a TV writer who works in the entertainment industry as well? Now, I say that not to puff my chest out, but actually to do the exact opposite and grovel, because if you're a showrunner, an exec, or a fellow writer on a current show and are looking for some fresh new voices, well, please consider this quirky Filipino dude with this Lakers podcast who's speaking to you now. I'm pre-WGA, have years of animation production experience, script coordinator experience, I've also written four fully produced freelance animated scripts, and I was also privileged enough to have been named a finalist in the 2021 Universal Animation Writers Program. 
So for anyone that's looking to take a shot on a novice writer who's just shooting his shot right now in the weirdest way possible, I'd love to set up a general meeting or an informational with you to simply discuss potential opportunities. So please feel free to reach out to jhun247 at gmail.com. So with all that said, now back to the Lakers. Attention listeners across the galaxy. All the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that woody with Manscaped. Man, did I write this? I don't know. Anyways, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. All right, so we're back. Tommy, before I let you talk about DeAndre Jordan and what he can bring to this team and his role, etc., I have some stats for Three-point shooting. Three-point shooting, indeed. No, not really. Um, so I think you already know this, but did you know that DeAndre Jordan is an underrated passer for a center? Uh, with the Knicks, he actually averaged three assists. Granted, that was in like 30 games after he got traded to them, but he still averaged three assists, and he's averaged close to two assists at the center position over the last few seasons as well. I don't know if you know this stat, but last season he had six games with four-plus assists or more. Marc Gasol, by comparison, had nine. So the fact that DeAndre Jordan's only three games off of Marc Gasol's total of having four-plus assists, so which means DeAndre had games of five assists, uh, which is pretty crazy. And the Nets ran a lot of high post action with him and Joe Harris, where he receives the ball at the top of the key. Joe Harris is on the parallel opposite high pinch post. He acts like he's going to curl over for the three, but instead he cuts into the paint, and DeAndre finds him with pinpoint accuracy with a bounce pass each time for an easy cutting layup. And I hope we see a ton of that with guys like Bazemore, Nunn, Monk, etc. Because this team has a lot of good cutters and finishers. And the fact that DeAndre Jordan can make those reads, I think, is encouraging. Don't you? Yeah, I think it's super encouraging. So this, the numbers you just read off are actually very surprising to me. I didn't know the numbers stood out like that. But in terms of his abilities, I think we saw it, right? Like, he... His formative years and, and developmental years, really, in the NBA came during the Lob City years. Uh, you know, obviously, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were running that team, but, like, you had to be able... They were running a very efficient offense back in that back in that time, right? And DeAndre, I think, picked up a lot from Chris Paul when he was a really young... Uh, when DeAndre was a really young player in, in terms of just, you know, the dunks are cool, the lobs are, are, are helpful, uh, defense was his thing back then but you know you have to be able to do something with the ball if you're not going to shoot 
And so having that angle is going to help so much. Like it, it mean angle, meaning like you can throw him the ball 18 feet away from the basket and it's, he's not totally, totally useless. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's not going to take a jump shot from out there, but he can find someone, you know, and, and we have, and, and it's different than Mark. Like Mark is more of a true, uh, playmaker in in many ways for a big man not like off the dribble or anything but mars mark is more of a true playmaker but just having the option right like we even saw like in dwight's last run with the lakers he has some ability to make some of those passes like we you know make make reads and hit guys on backdoor bounce passes and and stuff like that cutting to the rim and having deandre also be able to do that like i don't know what the starting lineup is going to look like for this team but it's nice to know that you know, we won't be losing a ton moving from Dwight to DeAndre and, and vice versa on any given night. It's like, you know, in some ways I wanted to com- I want to compare our current front center rotation to what we did a couple of years ago with JaVale and Dwight. But, right. you know, JaVale has certain benefits that that DeAndre does not have. But I think DeAndre brings a lot of basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. Um that we didn't have. But anyway, that's that's my thought on that. Yeah, and passing was not one of those for JaVale, although sometimes he wanted to do some point guardy stuff out of nowhere that you're just like, what in the hell? Um, so in addition to that, and I guess I'm going to get your thoughts on DeAndre in segments because I guess with each new stat I'll point out, I guess you can talk about them. So in addition to the assists, I want to bring up screen assists, which is, you know, oh, yeah. anytime a, a center actually sets a screen, how many times does the player handling the ball get a bucket out of that. And I think the one thing that stood out to me about DeAndre that just hit me, as opposed to Dwight Howard, is that the one thing that I appreciate appreciate about DeAndre is that he's known his role for a long time. And what I mean by he knows his role is, you know how we, we it took so many years for Dwight Howard to finally uh, come to grips with becoming the strict pick-and-roll rolling big who only cleans up and that he never posts up that's all he does he sets solid screens because for a long time while Dwight set solid screens I think he'd always slip that screen pretty easily and I guess the same goes with JaVale so with regards to DeAndre Jordan from day one he always saw himself as I'm gonna set the screen and I'm gonna roll catch the lob or clean up the miss and so because of that he set some of the most fundamentally sound screens he just plants his feet and stands there, waits a hot second, and then rolls, you know? And that, and by doing that, he erases the defender more adequately. And so, with regards to screen assists, out of all NBA centers who played at least 20 games last season, DeAndre ranked 19th in screen assists um, with a 3.4 screen assist average. This ties him with Carl Anthony Towns, but puts him above guys like Nerlens Noel, Robin Lopez, Willie Cauley-Stein, and Dwight Howard, who averaged 3.1 screen assists. For reference, Anthony Davis only averaged 1.5 screen assists. This is likely because when he was setting a screen, he was either rolling to score himself or popping out. I think screen assists just takes into account the ball handler getting the shot, although I may be wrong. Um, But JaVale only averaged 1.9, and Marc Gasol only averaged 1.6 screen assists, in comparison, again, to DeAndre, who had a 3.4 screen assist average. So, semi-conclusion, DeAndre sets some solid-ass screens and really plants himself for his teammates to get very clean looks or very open pathways to the basket for them. Your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so similar, we actually had a very similar conversation to this, I think, last year when we signed Montrez, because the prior, I don't know what he was like last year. I was going to, you don't have to pull the numbers now, but I don't know what he did for us uh, last year. But the prior season, when he was with the Clippers, he was one of the league leaders in screen assists. And mm-hmm. we kind of saw that play out. I mean, I think last year we had such a, there was a, we had such a, lack of guys who could use a screen to create something for themselves uh you know heading towards the rim that maybe those numbers were deflated a little bit and i I think partially explains the ad thing although the points you made also partially explain the ad thing but you know deandre he's pretty much like to the extent you're going to play a true center in 2021 like he's kind of what you want, right? And he's kind of like what Dwight brought us in in some respects uh, a couple of years ago. That dude will run around for 15 minutes and s- exclusively set screens and he won't complain. You know what I mean? And it's it's like, that's what you want. You want a big guy who's going to go out there and, and set really solid screens and not complain and not, you know, doesn't matter if he's getting touches, doesn't matter if he has to, you know, roll and nothing happens and he has to come out and rescreen. Like he he's just going to do it over and over and over. He's a massive human being and he's going to set some very powerful screens for us. And I think... You know, I mean, it's obvious. And there's a reason this guy, you know, is is getting up there in age. Although he's only 33. I mean, he's not like that old. But, you know, centers tend to age a little bit more quickly and, and especially athletic centers. But, you know, DeAndre's 33 and, and he's so he's getting a little bit up there. He's lost a little bit of the explosiveness he used to have. But part of the reason he still put up like a very solid season for the Nets last year is because he can set he I mean, it's like you you, you put it well, like. He wipes guys out of plays mm-hmm. on on offense when uh, you know defenders on offense when um, when we have the ball and and I think you know that that's going to be a, a very good dynamic for us this year as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we talked about the offensive event. I'll give you some defensive stats and then I'll let you close out our talk on DeAndre Jordan. So with regards to defensive at the rim percentage, six feet or less. So when it comes to how DeAndre Jordan guarded the rim at six feet or less. Uh, most players shoot around 61 to 62% at that range. Uh, last season, guys like JaVale McGee, Rudy Gobert, and Miles Turner, in that order, held opponents to the lowest percentages in that paint range. JaVale held people to 47%, which is very impressive considering the average is like 62. Gobert held guys to 48%, Turner to 48.7%. So there's that percentage and there's also a differential that they calculate when it comes to defensive at the rim percentage that calculates what a particular opponent typically averages versus what, let's say, player X DeAndre holds them to. So I'm going to bring up both numbers. AD last year held opponents to 59.7% at the rim with a minus three differential. So There's a little bit of noise when it comes to those numbers, but those are his numbers last year. His rim contest frequency was 40%, which means those are the number of times that he was able to contest a shot in that range or the opponent, you know, attempted a shot in that range. So maybe you could take that number and say, well, 40% is a low number of contesting, but maybe opponents just didn't take the shot because Anthony Davis was in the paint, you know, which leads to that low frequency. So in comparison, Marc Gasol held opponents to 59.3% with a minus 2.1 differential 
his rim contest frequency was 49%, which is kind of surprising, but maybe not considering guys always seem to drive it into Marcus Gasol, and Marcus Gasol never really moves and just puts his hands up, so maybe that's the rim contest. Okay, but to take it to DeAndre Jordan, I know these numbers are a far cry from what I mentioned about JaVale holding people to 47%, Gobert to 48%, whatever, but let's keep it in context to the bigs we had last year with AD only holding guys to 59%, Marc Gasol at 59.3%. You know, AD wasn't healthy last year, so we can kind of chalk those numbers up to that. But DeAndre was better than both of them. He held opponents to 58.4% in the paint with a minus 4.1 differential between what specific opponents typically shot in the paint and what DeAndre held them to. So, yeah, those are the numbers. I mean, I think it's just interesting that, you know, as as much flack as we give DeAndre Jordan, he still did a better job of protecting the paint from a percentage perspective than, you know, guys like AD and Mark. And then Dwight Howard, in comparison, when he was with the Sixers last year, held opponents to 56% with a minus 5.1 differential, contesting shots at a 55% frequency. So, I mean... You look at those numbers all together of like former Laker bigs or tangential Laker bigs, and DeAndre is second behind Dwight and above AD and Mark in terms of rim contest frequency. I think with AD next to him, where he can solely be the focus of the backline defense, I think that number should be lower in terms of him holding opponents to a lower percentage, hopefully, where he can just focus on that one thing versus being like the main anchor of a defense, right? right. Um, along those same lines, I'll just give you this last stat, total rebound percentage. Now, this statistic is calculated by taking the total number of rebounds secured both offensive and defensive and dividing that number by the total number of rebounds available. Did you know that DeAndre Jordan, on his career, has a 21.6% total rebound percentage, which ranks fourth all-time in the NBA behind Reggie Evans? Reggie Evans. Yeah. Dennis, yeah, Reggie Evans is first in total rebound percentage. So here, here's the top four. Number one, Reggie Evans. Number two, Dennis Rodman. Makes Number sense. three, former Laker Andre Drummond. <laughs> and then, oh, actually, yeah, former Laker Andre Drummond. And then DeAndre Jordan is fourth. Dwight Howard, by the way, is seventh all-time in total rebound percentage. So the fact that the Lakers have two of the best rebounding centers of all time on their team currently, although we know that they're older at this stage, yada, yada, still pretty crazy to think about. But here are DeAndre Jordan's total rebound percentage in comparison to Marc Gasol and even JaVale McGee. Um, In 2020, he had a 23.5 total rebound percentage, which is actually more than his or higher than his 21.6% career total rebound percentage. Uh, but in 2021, he had an 18.9 total rebound percentage. Marcus Gasol had a 12.2 total rebound percentage. And JaVale McGee had a 19.8 total rebound percentage in 2021. So DeAndre's just slightly off JaVale McGee's total rebound percentage. But my takeaway from this is DeAndre Jordan had a way higher total rebound percentage than Marcus Gasol. And when you're a team that wants to get up and down, grabbing rebounds is essential, clearing, clearing up possessions and making sure that you have you secure the ball is essential and I think DeAndre Jordan will do a much better job of that than a guy like Marcus All. So just your thoughts on on the defensive stats that I just rolled out in terms of uh defensive at the rim percentage and total rebound percentage even though they're not like elite anymore it's still like my whole takeaway is it's better than what we had last year. Yeah, it's better than what we had last year and look, I I don't want to be again, I think fans get a lot of flack for this, maybe rightfully so, for being like, well, it's going to be different on our team. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, try to, try to, but I will say that like, 
it often is the case that Frank Vogel is able to maximize his bigs. I, it, this is not the Lakers uh, film room podcast. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you from an X and O perspective, like why he's able to do that or how he's able to do that. You got to go ask Grangis in the basketball or, uh, or Pete about that stuff. But you know, it, it seems like he's able to do it. And I'll even include like Andre Drummond, right? Because Andre Drummond had some, I mean, some, obviously he's known for his rebounding, right? But he had some really poor defensive numbers when he came in. And we made him look very, very serviceable. Uh, and, you know, the team defense defensive schemes that we were kind of running last year, right? So it, I, I think, like, the at-the-rim numbers and the contest numbers, all that stuff is encouraging on a team that, emphasizes defense as much as we do as opposed to a team like the nets right you wonder how much left does he have in the tank in 15 minute bursts as opposed to over 60 games that he played last year wasn't he averaging like 25 minutes 20 minutes a game something like that like 22 some, minutes 22 minutes a game he had some like 35 40 minute, you know like yep, huge he minute game you know so it's like you kind of wonder like okay well over the course of uh, a season when you're not playing in a bunch of games because of matchups, when you're only playing like at most, I mean, you can't see this guy getting more than 15 minutes a game if 80 is playing any five, right? So yeah. does he have enough left in the tank to even up that stuff from last year? And, and on a team that takes pride in its defense, is he going to be like, Hey, I was like a former, uh, did he ever win defensive player of the year? Or is he, he was just always like a high competitor for it. I think high competitor, but never he never won Defensive Player of the Year. But, you know, like a guy who was known at, at one time for being a really important defensive piece. Um, maybe there's some pride that comes in and is like, okay, like all these guys are playing. Like if, if LeBron is 36 and is going this hour hard on defense and Dwight is, you know, 35, 36, however old he is and is going this hard on defense, and I could do it too. You know, maybe there's some of that comes into play. I think, you know, all of that is encouraging. The numbers at the rim are encouraging. The rebounding is encouraging. The one thing that everybody's going to point to, which is the fair critique, is he doesn't have the ability to defend in space, but yeah. none of our bigs except for AD do. And frankly, my response to that is in the games where we need to be able to stop guys in space. It's I'm not talking be regular season. Yeah, exactly. Not talking regular season games, talking playoff games where we need to be able to stop guys in space. It's going to be AD. So it's kind of a mood point, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. So my last question to you regarding DeAndre is, let's say the Lakers do end up going with a traditional five. Who starts between him or Dwight? I know we have the talks about, you know, Rich Paul telling people that AD will start at the five. That remains to be seen. But let's say Frank goes with the tried and true traditional center. Is it Dwight or DeAndre that you'd have starting? (sighs) This one's tough, but I actually... And I don't know if I'm saying this just because of how it went last time, but I really like Dwight's energy off the bench. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we could get more out of DeAndre with our starting lineup um, Mm -hmm. than we could with Dwight. Um, So I have a slight preference to go with DeAndre as of now. Now that said, I don't know what they told him, right? And again, Rich Paul, like, he can say like, oh, AD is going to play five. But of course, I mean, does that just mean he's going to play more five? Or are you saying for 82 games, he's going to start at the five? If it just means he's going to play more five, then 
it, it it's a little interesting because I it really becomes then a training camp battle. And if it becomes a training camp battle, I'm going to take the guy who has a few extra years of youth. You know what I mean? Who mm-hmm. didn't play a ton last year, certainly didn't play at all in the playoffs um, and ha- sort of fills that JaVale McGee role from two years ago on offense anyway, in terms of being the vertical threat and Dwight is too, but you know, Deandre can do some things with the ball in the perimeter and, and um, as we've discussed and, and so I think I, I have a slight lean towards DeAndre just because Dwight has so much experience in recent years playing as like the main backup big and mm-hmm. is used to bringing that energy off the bench. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you overall. My slight devil's advocate for bringing DeAndre off the bench is if you know you're going to phase this guy out eventually anyways, maybe it's easier to do so if he's already ha- has a limited role off the bench, whereas... If you swipe, yeah. if you start Dwight Howard, you know you're going to use him one way or another in the playoffs. So even if you shift him to the bench, he's still going to play. You know what I'm saying? So that that would be my devil's advocate. But to get back to your point about Dwight Howard bringing that energy off the bench, I'm also just not comfortable with DeAndre Jordan being the anchor of a probably lesser defensive focused bench unit with like Kendrick Nunn and you know Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony like. putting DeAndre there seems just like a recipe for disaster. Whereas at least if you have Dwight there, he's the defensive general that can keep everything together. You know what I mean? So exactly. I think because of that, yeah, let's just start DeAndre, split the difference and give him the guardrails that are Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kent Bazemore, some of your better defensive players. All right. With that said, let's close this episode out. The last, you know, four or five minutes of this talking about the final two roster spots. Uh, Tommy, Kenneth Fareed. <laughs> just kidding. We're not going <laughs> to talk about uh, Kenneth Fareed. The one thing that I'll say about Kenneth Fareed, I think we've already mentioned this. At least I mentioned this on Twitter. Um, this is likely a leverage play by his agent. And if anything, it's just a training camp invite because the Lakers do need to fill out three or four more roster spots. He played His best season came with the Rockets during that Chris Paul Harden year. He did stretch his game out a little to the three-point line that year, hitting like 7 of 20 that season. The one thing I'll say about him is he does run the floor well, and he is athletic, so he fits our identity in that sense. He's like a poor man's more vertical flying Trez in some senses. But regardless, I don't want to talk about Kenneth Fareed. Um, We technically have two roster spots, but given the fact that we're paying almost like four times the amount for every dollar with regards to luxury tax, it's dubious whether or not we're actually going to fill those spots. And if we do, it's likely going to be non-guaranteed. But what do you think the Lakers do with those spots? And for me, obviously, we still need a wing. James Ennis is out there, athletic, looks like the prototypical 3 and D mold guy. Glenn Robinson, the third former slam dunk champion, is still out there, who we've been linked to in the past. And then I think outside of the wing area, I mean, I feel like we could still use a versatile big, especially with Mark out the door. We haven't really necessarily filled that Markeith Morris type. And so for me, it's almost like I kind of wish Aaron Baines hadn't been injured uh, in the Olympics because he would have been like a perfect sort of big for us. In fact, he's kind of like Marc Gasol, but the more mobile version, even though he's 35 years old. And then it's also a shame that Myers Leonard is a racist because he he also maybe could have helped. You know, he's only 29 years old. He literally spaces the floor, but he does have that prototypical seven-foot center physique. Uh, but in lieu of those guys, I feel like a guy like Mr. Catch you on the flippity flip, Mike Scott, hey. who is literally Marquise Morris, Tommy. He's Catch you on the flippity flip. flip. <laughs> so Mike Scott 
Six nine with a six tennis wingspan. Although if you go by him, he said on Twitter that he's six ten with a seven foot three wingspan.、Uh, that's what he said on Twitter. Look, he's thirty three years old. He's a tough dude. Not as well rounded a player as Markeith Morris, especially not defensively. But he is a career thirty six percent three point shooter. His last season with Philly in twenty nineteen twenty, he shot thirty seven percent from three, hitting one point four a game. In twenty eighteen nineteen, he shot forty one percent, hitting one point eight a game. Doc Rivers actually spot started him at center for Embiid a couple times、uh, to mix results during those two seasons, but to me he is pretty much Markeith Morris, and I would I wouldn't mind giving him a training camp invite. So what are your thoughts on that and just the whole roster situation in general? Scott's thoughts. You got two minutes. Okay, so I like. I mean, I like the guys you've mentioned. I I don't know a ton about all of them, right? They're kind of journeyman guys.、Um, You know, I, I think you're right, and and we touched about this. I touched on this a little bit in this DeAndre stuff, right? But the one gap that you can kind of point to on our roster and be like, well, they could use someone in this position. I think you can. You we could use a guy who's more of a four or five who can stretch the floor and doesn't have to be a true four, doesn't have to be a true five, but somebody who's kind of in that range. Let's call it six nine or taller. You know, but willing to like muck it up in the paint and can stretch a little bit. I think those are the types of guys I would be the most interested in. I am kind of wondering if the reason we haven't, you know, the fifteenth spot, just mark that open for for like the start、yeah. of the season. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we're gonna even give someone a non guaranteed deal for that spot.、Um, I think we're just gonna keep it literally completely open,、um, which is fine. So it really comes down to that 14th spot, and training camp is like in three weeks, isn't it? Like I, it's coming up very, very quickly.、Yes. Um, end of end of、uh, September weeks, here,、yeah. two and a half weeks. So, you know, it. I suspect that the reason we have not signed anyone is because there's a chance we're looking at that 14th spot as as the de facto 15th spot, and so、yeah. we're only making non-guaranteed offers. We're only giving. Camp invites, etc., and guys are holding out to see if they can get a better deal somewhere else, which makes sense. And and so I think it's really going to be a competition. But I think guys like a Mike Scott, guys like even a Kenneth Fareed, who I you know again is a kind of a divisive player, but we need somebody at that six nine ish height. DJ Wilson, six ten, seven foot three wingspan. Somebody like that to come into camp and compete.、Um, we have a few camp invite spots that are still open. So somebody is going to make the team. I just don't know who. It's unfortunate because you almost would really like to see that spot go to like a G League, like undrafted free agent type guy. But if you watched our G League team or our summer league team this year, we didn't really have many guys like in that size range that could kind of you know solve the issues I'm, I'm talking about now. So I do think it's going to be a veteran.、Um, yeah. But we'll see what happens. I, I I think it's going to be somebody like you've described, and、uh, I'm excited to see. I, it's going to be it's going to be exciting because that is a true roster spot, and I'm not saying you're going to get consistent rotation minutes, but you will play if you make it as the 14th man on this team for sure. Yeah. So my quick wrap up to this is: let's say that they use. The, I don't think they're going to use those two roster spots, but let's just say in terms of training camp invites. If we sign an older big to fill the Markeith spot, so Demarcus Cousins, Mike Scott, Fareed, even a Michael Beasley, I hope we sign a younger wing for the 15th spot. So sign a DeAndre Bembry if he gets bought out, a GR3, even a Terrence Ferguson, athletic dude who Russell Westbrook has played with before. 
even a guy like Rondé Hollis Jefferson at this point, 26 years old, he's just athletic clay, you know, and he plays de- good defense. So if we sign an older big to fill the Markeith spot, sign a younger guy for that 15th spot. If we sign a younger big to fill the Markeith role, so let's say a DJ Wilson, a Jonte Porter, Noah Vonley, then I'm good with signing an older wing, James Ennis, Wesley Matthews. I'm also just fine signing James Ennis, like you said, and calling it a day, which is likely what will happen with that 14th spot, keeping the, fi- the 15th spot open. But as we mentioned, we're going to need to fill out three or four more training camp spots. So it may be worthwhile to do it with some of these guys that I mentioned who could be, you know, young flyers that you're just getting data on for the future, even if you don't sign them for the season. Right. And I would do it with moneyball guys like DJ Wilson. So and even Terrence Ferguson, six, six, six foot nine wingspan, dunks the hell out of the gym, dunks the hell out of the ball and flies the hell out of the gym, whatever. Uh, with that said, that'll do it for our episode. Tommy, I'll let you go. And I got to run to the parking meter because uh, it's red right now. So thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Tommy, see you later. Later. I will catch you later, bro. I literally have to run to the parking meter. <laughs> All right, go for it. Go <laughs> see you, dude. Bye. All right, bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.